Welcome to the D2C Slingshot Podcast. I'm your host, Lockie Thompson, and I'm also the founder of Social Slingshot, a paid advertising agency. This podcast is your go-to resource for e-commerce entrepreneurs seeking insights from industry leaders and experts. If you've magically stumbled across this podcast, I'm truly grateful you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions whatsoever or specific topics you'd like us to cover, do not hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram at Lucky Social Slingshot. While this podcast is tailored to the broader e-commerce community, if you're ever in need of direct marketing assistance, remember that Social Slingshot is here to help. Our mission is to drive as much success for as many e-commerce brands as possible by being the most results-driven and client-focused agency in the market. Now, with all the admin stuff taken care of, let's dive straight into today's episode. G'day, everyone. Welcome back to the D2C Slingshot podcast. Today, I'm joined with Sam, the founder of Pyra. And you just want to give a bit of background history to how you've grown multiple brands to millions of dollars, and now your focus is on Pyra. Yeah, so I um, originally grew up in New Zealand. Um, I did a graphic design degree originally. Um, and having a graphic design degree is kind of a pretty good platform to uh, break into the apparel industry. Um, you know, you can do everything from your branding to logos to your website, um, your technical drawings for garments and, um, you know, everything kind of in between. So that was kind of my first step into the industry. Um, I worked for a couple of pretty big retailers designing their in-house brands in Sydney um, for about five years. Um, between 2008 and 2000 and um, probably about 12, I'd say. And then I started another brand called Dead Studios, which I um, grew um, with a team with retail stores and wholesale accounts. Um, and then at the end of 2018, I sold that brand to Culture Kings. Um, and then I started Pyra. Um, and Pyra for me was um, a brand that kind of was a more... Um, relatable to my lifestyle um you know i grew up in new zealand i spend a lot of time in the outdoors and do a lot of sports and i felt what was missing in the market was um you know technical streetwear that's built for the elements so um, taking my streetwear design experience and then bridging it between um you know my love for the outdoors and um i used to be a semi-professional skier back when i was um in my early uh, well late teens early 20s um so I've always had um, uh, exposure to really good brands in terms of outerwear and, you know, what that sort of quality needs to be and, you know, their waterproof um, technical functions. So it kind of just led me on to going down um, the rabbit hole of uh, designing Pyra and kind of finding a niche in the market. Yeah, cool. And Pyra is a pretty interesting name. How did you come up with that? Yeah, so I've always um, been attracted to brand names that have four letters. Um, you know, you've got the obvious one like Nike. Um, the best thing about them is they're short, they're punchy, and they're symmetrical. So if they're on a, like a hat like this, you know, it's nice and clean to have. And when I was in Sydney one day um, at the end of 2018 and that kind of transition year, when I was kind of brainstorming brand names, I saw a billboard that had the word pyramid on it and it had P-Y-R-A and then M-I-D underneath it. I can't remember what it was actually advertising, but I, my eye was just drawn to Pyra and I was like, damn, that's a, a strong name. Um, then I jumped onto kind of, I always then just kind of banked it um, in my mind for probably six months and then kind of went down the Google route as you do of kind of looking to see what the brand name is and 
um, you know, how it came, what what it kind of means. And I kind of found out that it means um, born of flame in ancient Greek. Um, and not only was it a quite a rare word, like one that was, the domain was free, the trademark was free, there was no other apparel brands that had this name, Instagram was free. So it was kind of like this perfect golden nugget. Like it's pretty rare to try and find a brand name in our day that has four letters. So I kind of struck gold with that. And it kind of even made more sense when I kind of went deep into finding more about the meaning. Um, you know, you've obviously got earth, water, air, and fire as the th four elements that everything is made up of. And I knew Pyro needed to be um, a technical outdoors apparel brand. So having those four elements um, kind of tied perfectly back into the brand name and kind of, yeah, looped it all together. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And over the last three years since you started the brand, you've made yeah. multi-millions of dollars. Do you just want to describe how your uh, streetwear is different or outerwear is different to compared to other brands like maybe Kathmandu or something like that? Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, like when I was like, because I've been a designer for so many years, I kind of, you know, I'm inspired by brands, you know, like Palace or Stussy or Supreme. But then I'm also love brands that, you know, are proper technical um, outerwear brands. You know, you've got like the North Face, for example, or Patagonia with that sustainability front. So I kind of wanted to bridge the gap between the two. And I felt like there was no one really kind of tapping that kind of element of, um, you know, combining those streetwear aesthetics and then putting them together with that outdoor um, kind of look. So, yeah, we, I kind of found a sweet spot in the market for Pyra. And, you know, I think that is why we were able to get such good cut through um, early on. Um, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that caught my eye about your brand is obviously that graphic design experience has helped and your Instagram is super attractive. I'm not a big like streetwear guy at all. That's why I just wear a plain black t-shirt. But so when I went I to your people. Instagram, <laughs> when I went to your Instagram, I was like, wow, this is like amazing. And like, it actually looks good. It looks functional and everything like that. And then you also had some awesome golf videos on your Instagram at the time when I first checked you guys out. Yeah. How, obviously your experience with graphic design, but then you also yeah. moved into some video content as well. How did yeah. you get everything looking so good? Was that from your own experience playing around with different things or did you hire a professional for <clears> that? No, I just did it all myself. I think, you know, because this was my second time around the block, so to speak, um, you know, I had a really clear vision of what Pyra wanted, uh, what I wanted Pyra to be. So I spent, you know, a good six months doing brand guidelines what our mission was, what we're going to stand for, what our values are going to be, and really put the groundwork into making a really clear brand book from the start. And because of that, we've had, you know, you mentioned our Instagram, but if you tie that back to all of our branding on our garments, everything is consistent. Um, and that's super key for me because then it makes it recognizable. And, you know, you know, we use that pyre bright vault color, which you can kind of see behind me mm. on that um, swing uh, on that folded pit. But, you know, that was really key for me in terms of having a really strong brand. And I've always been super big on branding um, ever since I was at school. I remember like, you know, drawing up brands in my art book when I was like 15. Um, so I've always been obsessed with brand, um, you know, whether that is, you know, the big ones, um, you know, I've always been quite loyal to them as well. Um, so I suppose just having that brand obsession from the start made sure that, Pyre had to be super clear um, and 
yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, Pyra isn't your first brand that you started. We'll just go back and tr- backtrack a little bit. What were some of the mistakes you made within that first business or things that you did differently to when you started Pyra? Um, I think just going back to having a clear brand mission and um, brand guidelines and knowing exactly who our customer was. I think with my old brand, we were trying to do too much for not the same customer. You know, we had... Mm we were doing denim and a lot of that distressed denim and we were early on that bike trends, which, you know, made us grow rapidly through the likes of like the culture Kings and all of those stores. But then we also have women's activewear and that also blew up because we were able to get it onto Kylie Jenner about five times and all the Kardashians. So we got some massive growth there, but my kind of, I think I, when I look back on it in hindsight, kind of that ego barrier was, I probably could have pivoted the brand just to be a woman's activewear brand at that stage. But I suppose me as a designer felt like, you know, I still wanted to carry on that route. And so the brand, I think, looking back on it, just felt a little bit confused of who it kind of was. It it wasn't trying to own that one customer. So I suppose now when I'm thinking of Pyra, I'm really uh, strategic in terms of, you know, what makes sense for the brand. You know, especially like when we're launching new product categories it needs to still be for that customer and have that exact customer in mind in everything that we do you know with our design with our marketing um you know we kind of identify him um you know we've given him a name internally you know his age is sweet spot age is 28 you know we know the sports that he plays we know the brands that he likes we know his favorite shoes so having a really clear um, idea of who that customer is has been super critical for Pyra's success because it means that we don't deviate off the path trying to chase, you know, the sh- next shiny object. Yeah, uh, brand communication is so important and it's something that I've kind of been like more open to over the past 12 months. When I first started marketing about five years ago, I didn't know too much about it. You just sort of, sort of like, oh yeah, just chuck some colors on it and yeah, should yeah. be right. <laughs> but it really does go to a super deep level. And I swear the rabbit hole keeps getting deeper and deeper every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, and all of that goes back to, you know, how you're portraying your Facebook ads, you know, and making sure like those brand colors come through. But you kind of mentioned, you know, um, the video content in that last um, question, you know, making sure like our brand mission is to inspire movement in the elements. So a lot of our brand content is shot outdoors. Our, Our main goal is to inspire our customers to get back outdoors, basically. So we do that by world class content, world class product and world class customer service and having those three brand kind of pillars all playing at one. Yeah. And you mentioned Culture Kings a couple of times, and they're obviously a big player in the streetwear space. What sort of things did you learn from watching them or even selling your business to them or the collaboration that you guys had? Yeah, so we, um, when I sold my previous business to them, I actually started Pyra with um, Simon Baird, the owner of um, Culture Kings. And so we, for the first uh, two and a half years, we were working basically internally with um, the Culture Kings team. And it was it was great because we were able to expand into all of their stores from the get-go, plus all of their online store. And we were able to ride off their massive growth that they had during COVID. Um, 
And so for starting a new brand to be able to get exposure to their customer base at that volume, it was, you know, it would have costed millions and millions of dollars in marketing dollars just to get that sort of reach. And it was kind of why we were able to grow so fast so quickly is just by getting that um, that leg up. Um, since then, we have, we're not in that partnership anymore since they got bought out by um, AKA, which is a private equity company in the US um, in the start of 2021. Um, I was able to buy back the brand from um, that public company. And so we're now privately owned again, which um, is, is being great. It means that you know, we're still able to sell to Culture Kings and the likes of David Jones for our wholesale business um, and a few other independents. But it means that we can um, create our own vision and drive the brand the way that we want to and not be completely dictated by um, how the retailer wants our brand to be. Yeah. And I know Culture Kings and Simon Beard had a big focus on experience, especially within the store. Now, from my understanding, you also have a store in Sydney, but then you also have the online. How have you found like balancing those two? And do you have a favorite? Um, I mean, uh, we only did a pop-up store in Sydney that wasn't a permanent space, but um, yeah, the experience kind of thing is really key for a brand like ours because we are majority online. Um, you know, we can, we can be shopped in um, other retailers, like I mentioned, but, you know, a pop-up is a great way for us to create an um, experience for um, our consumer that we can control the whole environment. You know, they can come and see the whole range. They can come and meet me and my staff. They, you know, they can learn about the products one-on-one. I feel, you know, when our brand is stocked in some other wholesale um, companies it can kind of get a little bit lost and our brand story can, can't be told as clear as when we can do it ourselves um, but because we're based uh, because a lot of us um, a lot of our sales are online it's also kind of been key as well just to show that kind of experience for our customers and make sure that we're popping up where they are as well so that's going to be um, a continued uh, strategy this year as well we want to do one in Melbourne um, mid way through the year um, and just continually being top of mind as well. Um, you know, we, we do plan to roll out our own retail stores eventually, um, but, you know, we'll do that when the time is right. I think there's some, um, you know, good opportunities to do these pop-ups in the time being and, you know, create some hype around the brand and, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you just, obviously, it's a lot of community building. And I understand you've started like a walking group or a hiking club sort of thing. Is that continuing on this year as well? Yeah, absolutely. That's been epic. Um, so we, we do um, Pirate Outdoor Enthusiast Club, um, which has been an awesome way for us to meet our community one-on-one. Um, you know, we started off basically um, during COVID, just like me and a few groups of friends. And then we kind of just grew this into this awesome community each hike we kind of get between 20 and 40 people coming on them we try and do them once a a month on a saturday um we tend to do them just around the gold coast which is where we are based but um this the outdoors environment around the goldie is amazing there's so many awesome hikes that are not a far drive from where we all live um and it's been yeah it's been a great way for us to build community and it kind of just you know um shows that we're out there doing it you know we're not just um an online outdoors brand that's just trying to push outdoors clothing and we're not actually out there doing it ourselves so 
it's been great. Um, we've met so many new people on these hikes as well. And it's not just a boys club as well. We get a heap of girls coming on them as well. Um, we partner with my other friends, um, sandwich company called Joe's Deli, and we provide, um, provide sandwiches on most of the hikes as well. So it's been a cool way to kind of, um, collab on that at, um, kind of grassroots level and yeah, build the brand. Yeah. Awesome. I, I actually work with a swimwear brand at the moment and they obviously do pop-up tents uh, around the swim carnivals and stuff like that. And just the following that they've got from doing those events has been super powerful. They're super loyal because I actually get to meet the brand founder, whereas yeah. a lot of e-commerce businesses sort of shy away from the fact that they actually own the business. They don't show you their face totally. or anything. Yeah. Uh, and so there's not it's like a important. direct like ROI on those things, you know, like, I feel like they're just the little one percenters that you do each day that keeps the brand moving forward, you know, and it's amazing how many people bring up those hike clubs um, in conversation with me because people are clearly seeing them in other cities. I mean, like, you know, that that's a really cool thing. So it's, yeah, it's definitely part of our long-term strategy. We want to start doing them in Sydney and Melbourne as well. I think like next time we do a, <clears throat> a pop-up in Melbourne, we'll tie in a hike in that same weekend as well, which would be good. Yeah, just make sure it's uh, shitty weather. Well, well, it always is in Melbourne, so you might be able to sell a few more jackets. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, for sure. Now, speaking of selling, you've told me that you've just come off your biggest Black Friday ever. Do you just want to run through some of those strategies that led to that result? Yeah, for sure. Um, it all just came down to planning for us. Um, we started planning it probably four months in advance. Um, you know, to hit the budgets that we needed, we obviously needed stock. Um, and so we pre-bought into the sale this year. Um, for the first time, we printed a shitload of um, tees on our blanks locally just to give a lot of width and then also depth into those kind of key sellers. Um, another strategy that we did with is we did a um, GWP, a gift with purchase, to lift our AOV. Um, so we did this, like... Um, custom puffer tote bag which was valued at a hundred dollars um to lift our aov which is free with any purchase over 150 <clears throat> so that worked really well um and then just having um our ad strategy super dialed um you know we we were we ran hype ads for three days to a website that was closed which is a pretty ballsy thing to do um and spending a, a fair amount of that budget but it meant that we were creating so much hype within um, that release date. By the time that we went on um, sale on that, I can't, you can't remember the exact date, but it was the Thursday, um, you know, at that 6 p.m. we had, you know, a couple of thousand people on our site ready to purchase. Um, so it was a great way to, you know, hit that sale with a heap of momentum. Um, and then just creating a, a ton of content um, throughout the sale and just trying to keep it fresh. So not just running, you know, plain static ads the whole way through it, um, you know, creating heaps of video ads, especially for it and a lot of talking videos and just really trying to be top of mind. We also went a little bit earlier this year because we found during the actual Black Friday weekend, the, um, uh, the COSPA acquisition blew out massively um so by having that sale 10 days before the actual black friday was really key this year because we were able to do most of our sales at a profitable rate and keep our mer um fairly low during that start where 
at the end of the sale, um, you know, MER started to get pretty high just because it was so competitive in the market. Yeah, for sure. And for a lot of brand owners, especially new start ones, I don't think they realize how much planning actually goes into Black Friday. And some yeah. of them just try to wing it like a couple of weeks out. Uh, yeah. What sort of time frame do you start or what, what month did you start planning for Black Friday? Um, you know, it was probably a, around April or May just to try and get those um, timelines for production right. Um, you know, making sure like it wasn't a last minute thing of like, oh, let's get to November and just sell what we have left because, um, you know, there wasn't, you, we, there's no way we would have hit our numbers. So we needed to have volume in those key styles, um, but also being really strategic on our pricing strategy as well was key. Um, you know, we advertised it up to 70% off, but majority of things were really only 30 and 50 um, with a few bait styles at 70 and so it yeah. meant that our um, GP margin still landed around 55 um, for Black Friday period, which is, you know, still pretty great. Um, where a lot of brands you might look at, you know, might just dump everything at 70% and then not really realizing the impact on their gross margin and their profitability at the end of the month. They, they might have nuked a ton of stock um, at that low price and, you know, not had that much left in the bank after the ads had gone out. <laughs> yeah and it's very difficult and like you said if you didn't do any planning you left it to black friday or the black friday weekend and you're trying yeah. to rush and get ads up like that cpm cost is coming through the roof during that time as well yeah absolutely now, another strategy that i've seen on your website at the moment and it's a pretty popular one for clothing brands particularly is the mystery boxes how have those been <laughs> selling since you put them on the site yeah, really good. We um we first actually tested them in Black Friday um during the end of the sale, and we just did one uh box at two hundred dollars that had I think six hundred worth of value, um and now so we launched them again in January. Um, it's a better way to protect brand equity in the market. It doesn't feel super salesy, um, but it's also a good way that um. You know, you can clear some older styles, but you really have to be careful that you don't just treat it as in we're just going to give all our customers our shitter styles because, you know, you really want the customer to feel like that they got a lot of value and especially to get that return rate to, so they buy it each time. Um, you know, eventually we want to get to a place where we're developing exclusive product, especially for these mystery boxes, where... Um, the customer gets stuff that they've never seen before. Um, so that was kind of a tactic that uh, Culture Kings used to use um, when I was there. You know, they'd have different tiered ones all the way up um, and it was all considered uh, not for sale um, products that you couldn't buy on their online store, but you got this ton of value if you spent this much. Yeah, that sounds way better. And I know my girlfriend has been done by mystery boxes by a brand, but, and you could definitely tell it was just all the shit that they couldn't sell. It's like, mm. what the hell is this? I didn't even know you sold this to start with. Yeah, uh, so, well, that's yeah. the thing, because a lot of brands will just chuck all their old samples in and everything. But yeah, we've kind of been a little bit more protective of that because we are a premium price point brand. You know, I would, you know, it doesn't feel right chucking an old sample that's, you know, the, a poor fitting garment just into a mystery box just because I need to clear it, you know, like all these behind me essentially a sample. So it's like, you know, we're better off doing a sample sale or a warehouse sale just to clear that sort of stuff. So, yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And yeah. what else are you working on throughout 2024? Like you've just had a bit of a break. I believe you went back to New Zealand and I'm sure <laughs> you had some thoughts going through your mind over that period. Yeah, I mean, we just want to keep up the momentum of where, we, where we're going. Um, you know, we're growing so fast at the moment, which adds a little bit of added pressure to the business. But just making sure that our planning is done correctly, making sure that our core styles are always in stock and stock forecasting those out. Um, you know, we've got, we're going to do complex con later in the year, which is um, a consumer event in Melbourne. Um, you know, they're a big USA um, trade show, but for consumers. So that's going to be pretty epic. We're just kind of, they keep moving the dates around at the moment. Um, then we've got three collabs that we're working on this um this year as well which is super exciting um and then yeah we're gonna in terms of our like key categories we're still building out um our street category our outdoors category our sport category we're really going to focus on this year as well and build that out with more styles and trying to really kind of tap that sports consumer and then we've still got our golf as well so we'll kind of um you know that golf release in december went crazy for us it was um it, it kind of blew me away how well it went. I think it translated really well with who our customer is, but, um, you know, we're also able to tap a heap of new customers with um, that release. So we'll start building that out as well and adding more styles to that capsule. Yeah. With golf, I feel like it's really grown over the past couple of years. Maybe it's something to do with TikTok, but that's where I first got introduced to golf and saw how fun it could be with all the memes. Yeah. And if you look at the PGA page at the moment, the official page, it's, there is a lot of memes being posted and introducing like younger audiences to the game. So I feel like you've got in at a pretty good time for golf. Yeah, I think it's just like the changer guards. You know, there's always been these old legacy brands in the sport and that they really haven't had a shake up in a long time. And you're right, there's a lot of this younger generation are coming through, are playing golf and, you know, they were not wanting to wear, um, you know, something their dad and their granddad used to wear, um, you know. So these brands that are popping off really have that street-inspired aesthetic um, and they're the ones that are kind of able to get cut through. Yeah, and I think Live Golf has helped with that a lot as well. Uh, for 100%. Anybody who yeah, anyone sure. who isn't as familiar with <laughs> golf um it was a pretty disruptive competition and poached some pga players and stuff like that so Ain't i'm pretty into money. my golf as well so <laughs> i'm keen to see some new releases that you guys have coming out yeah for sure now obviously to get cut through in the clothing <laughs> or apparel industry it's really hard especially for newbies what sort of advice would you have to somebody starting out in this niche um I mean, make sure that you can get the product to a level that you're super happy with. Have super clear brand guidelines of understanding what the brand means and stands for and what it looks like. Understanding what your consumer is. Um, focus on community building, um, on how you can do that, you know, within that niche. Um, try and really kind of tap into that. Um, then I would say become really good at Facebook ads and digital marketing and do it yourself. Don't, yeah, I would like, for, you know, now with AI getting so good, you know, you can basically, you know, tap into Advantage Plus ads and just run all of your content through them and really kind of focus on thinking about, you know, your marketing in terms of, you know, what are the benefits for that product for your consumer um, and just try and be everywhere, I think, um, you know, 
TikToks, you see a lot of young brands popping off on them. And the ones that do it are telling their story. You know, their founders are in front of the camera. They're the ones talking about the product. You know, they might even be in their bedroom. I've seen like a heap of brands in the last like month just showing their start right from the get-go and people buying into that because they like showing the journey. And, you know, we even find with us, like we'll spend, you know, 10 grand on a super polished campaign, which is great for brands, but it quite often doesn't move the needle in terms of what we need to do in terms of, um, you know, making the brand feel premium, um, but also, you know, making sure that you're able to get cut through because it's, you know, super competitive. Um, and I think just trying to find a niche and become, if you can do everything yourself early on, you know, tap into being a graphic designer, it really, really helps because as I said at the start, um, you know, you're able to do everything from website mock-ups to your graphics, to your logos, to your tech packs in China or wherever you're making your clothing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's never been easier these days. There's a lot of really great blank suppliers out there now. Um, so the barrier of entry is super low. You know, you could literally start a brand with $500 if you wanted to go buy some Gildan blanks, a couple of hoods, a couple of tees, go get them printed locally, start a Shopify website within two hours and it'll cost you a hundred bucks. Good to go. Yeah. <laughs> I think what, what is super important just to be different from other people is like you said, get on camera, even if it is in your messy bedroom. Like I yeah. find myself even watching those people more because I know they're <laughs> hustling. I know they're working hard to make their yeah. product better and build their audience and stuff like that. So that yeah. resonates with me as well. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, I need to remind myself to do more of as well, to be honest. And we are, you know, now starting to focus on that and, you know, it's trying to put, build a personal brand around the brand as well. I think like in the past, I used to kind of let the brand be the brand. Um, but now I'm trying to put myself in front of the camera more often because I feel like people want to know who's behind it. They want to see the, you know, follow the story. They want to know who the founder is. They want to know why you started it. You know, they want to feel involved and buy into, you know, what the brand stands for. Yeah. And it's building that personal connection and they're going to turn into repeat customers more than if you're going to go buy from, I don't know, somewhere down the road, some major retailer. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know, like when you talk about these super big um, outdoors brands, you know, like the Katmandu's and the North Faces and stuff, you know, they're obviously, well, they're almost billion dollar companies, but, you know, <clears throat> that, that's where the opportunity for us young brands are, is to you know, take market share from them by doing it the new way. You know, those old brands, they can't pivot like we can. So we can, you know, create content within the same day and you can have it live. Um, you know, we might not have the store footprint that they have, but, you know, we can definitely tap into that younger generation of um, people on the up. Yeah. And I think TikTok's a perfect platform for that because if you ever go to those yeah. major retailers and if they do have a TikTok, it, it's pretty funny to see just the different styles of content they're posting compared to what's trending. Uh, so. Yeah, totally. But it's still, it's, you know, even for us, we're fine. We're learning with that every day as well and just testing, you know, some things that we think are going to go really well, get, you know, stuck at four or 500 views. And then, you know, you, you do a bit of a rogue one and it hits 150,000. So yeah. I don't know. We're still learning with the TikTok strategy as well. Um, but yeah, just trying to keep content coming out every day. Yeah, for sure. And just before we jump off today, what's a key mindset or a quote that has kept you going over all these years? 
Um, fail forward, I'd say. Um, you know, learn from your don't be afraid to learn from your mistakes. Um, you know, I've obviously had had a fair few in my career, but you know, it's kind of set me forward of where I want to be with Pyra, and it's given me confidence to back myself um, to take the brand to where I really want to. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much for jumping on today. Just before we do stop this podcast, you just want to yeah. give a quick plug to your socials and where people can interact with you. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So Pyra is uh, pyraelements.com, so P-Y-R-A. And then our Instagram is just pyra underscore underscore. We're still trying to get the pyra um, official one, but this guy won't reply to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then same with TikTok is pyra underscore underscore. And then my okay. personal one is just at Sam Moore underscore high. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on today and we'll see no everybody in the next episode. Hey, D2C Slingshot listeners. Unfortunately, this episode has come to an end. If you did make it this far, I'm pretty sure you enjoyed it. So how about hitting the thumbs up, leaving a comment or even smashing subscribe. Any engagement or feedback truly helps us improve and grow. And remember, if you have any questions at all or insights you'd like to share, the best place to reach me is on Instagram at Lockie Social Slingshot. Thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next one.